Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. This week, we are recapping Gilmore Girls Season 3, Episode 15, titled Face Off. Tired of waiting for her boyfriend to call and make plans for the weekend, Rory goes to a hockey game with Lane where she sees a familiar face. All right, we finally got to the (laughs) hockey episode. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Before we get into the weeds on this one, don't forget we're still doing our sticker giveaway. All you have to do to enter is give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Send us a screenshot to talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com along with your mailing address and we'll send you a sticker. Who doesn't want a sticker? (laughs) I know. Put them on your water bottle. Yeah, really. We're also still alerting you of our new Patreon, which is under our name, Talking Fast Podcast. We've got one tier called the Gazebo Club, which you can join for general support of the podcast. And yeah, that is our Patreon now. What were your impressions of this episode? I thought it was another strong episode in the Mm -hmm. second half of season three. Incredibly entertaining and I had remembered the hockey game. I did not remember the tricks plot line alongside of it, which was really delightful, to be honest. And I just thoroughly enjoyed the episode. How about you? I agree. It's a great episode. It's like one of those really cringy Mm -hmm, episodes. mm -hmm. Like there were so many moments where I was just so frustrated, secondhand embarrassment, (laughs) just like this is terrible (laughs) but I feel like that's that's like a good sign of a teen drama Mm -hmm. if there's a whole bunch of cringe stuff in there because being a teenager is often cringy yeah that's a good point it was very method television writing (laughs) for teenagers lives (laughs) yeah things continue to go downhill with Jess yes like really he's just not taking any opportunity you know (laughs) to redeem himself i will give a foreshadowing of my friday night critique in my notes i wrote the further unraveling of this relationship (laughs) which i feel like goes along with what you just said like oh yeah we're continuing on a steep downward slope (laughs) yeah yeah not a single good thing at all (laughs) no but except they might have had a good conversation at the diner at the very beginning but we don't know we didn't hear it Mm -hmm. well speaking of things that people will hear Every time I try to make the transition work, that one wasn't my best. Anyway, (laughs) talking fast segment. Let's go. Okay. I think I'm prepared. All right. Then on the count of three, one, two, three, go. So we start off with Taylor planning his family gathering because there's going to be a big hockey game. Um, I guess also the school has been teepeed because of the hockey game, Uh, but Rory has also still been having trouble getting in contact with Jess or he never contacts her. So she spends her Friday night alone and then ends up going to the hockey game without him because she can't get a hold of him. And then he kind of patches things up in the end. And meanwhile, there's stuff with tricks going on. She makes out with a guy in a purple suit and then Richard giggles about it. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) That's good. Uh, Tried to go out of order, which didn't really work in my favor. Mm. (laughs) Are you prepared? Yes. Okay. And go. 
Storyline one, Jess and Rory are having communication issues. She decides not to wait around for him on Lorelai's advice. So she goes to the hockey game where she sees Dean and Lindsay. And Lane is also there for storyline two, which is her date with Young Chu and um, her kind of plan with Dave because the band is also at Mrs. Kim's doing a gig. In the meanwhile, in storyline three is Emily and Trix. And Emily sees Trix kissing this guy in a tracksuit and it unfolds dramatically. All right. I did forget the Taylor stuff, though. Oh, yeah. Well, I had forgotten about the Dave and Lane stuff. There we go. It equals out. A perfect pair. All right. Shall we slow down? So we start off in Luke's, and Taylor is kind of going on and on and on about his arrangements for his family coming into town. Lorelai has been cornered by him Well. Rory is up talking with Jess at the counter. Canoodling. And so, yeah. Yeah, they're having a little flirty moment. Um, Lorelai tries to get Rory to come back and pretend to be ill so that they can escape Taylor. And we get the kind of the beginning of the storyline for the hockey game. That's why all of Taylor's family is in town. And it's been, what, 43 years mm-hmm. since the last time the Stars Hollow Minutemen were in the semifinals, which I have to say, as far as high school mascots go that are like, I mean, in the past like 10, 20 years, we've tried to move away from some of the more problematic ones. Mm -hmm. I think Minutemen is a pretty good uh, high school mascot. Yeah, I think it reminds me of my my high school mascot, which was the Hilltoppers. Oh, (laughs) I don't even know what that is. (laughs) Mine were the gray ghosts. Oh, that's pretty cool. I guess, yeah. Spooky. Spooky. (laughs) I had my Rory's Bookshelf nomination in this scene as they discuss the hockey semifinals when Rory says the only reason the hockey team is involved is because another team got food poisoning. Taylor admits, yeah, it's not quite like the plot of Hoosiers and... I wanted to highlight that this is a movie from 1986 about a high school basketball team who may get to the state finals, and it's based on a true story. And I've never actually seen the movie. I'm not really one for the big epic sports movies or whatever, but Mm -hmm. I bring it up because the final scenes of the movie were filmed in historical Hinkle Fieldhouse, which is the fieldhouse where I went to undergrad, and that's where the actual game was held. So it's pretty cool that they film there and it is a really cool place and I would go to basketball games there a lot in undergrad and that is the reason I also know some you know information about March Madness that helped us be able to put that (laughs) together this year. So uh, yeah me going to undergrad in a basketball obsessed state of Indiana really helped me out so shout out to the Hoosiers movie here. Yeah, I've never seen it. I had no idea that Indiana was obsessed with basketball until about like seven years ago. I met my first person from Indiana mm-hmm. and it became very clear that I did not have that cultural context. Yeah, <laughs> they like basketball. It's uh, true. Yeah, they do. The only sports movie that I really like is Cool Runnings. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's about yeah the Jamaican bobsled team who made it to the olympics Mm -hmm. it's a great one actually classic i would add to this mighty ducks 
<laughs> I love Mighty Ducks. That. It's worth it. Was it? There's like three movies. And yeah, there is that remake yeah. that had Lauren Graham in it. Wow. I was going to say. It's yeah. all connected. <laughs> Crossover. <laughs> I haven't seen that one though. Yeah, me neither. Um, the, the scene finishes off with Luke coming up and pouring them more coffee and starting to tease Taylor about how the only reason that the team won the last time was because Taylor... Uh, got a hockey puck to the head, which Luke said as a joke, but ended up being the truth. Mm -hmm. And I thought that this was great. We aren't, like, the camera's not on Lorelai or Rory as this little exchange is happening. Uh, You just hear the doorbell ding as it closes. And then once the camera pans out, you see Lorelai and Rory, like, running away down the street. (laughs) Um, And Taylor and Luke comment on their speed and... Rory having to run while she is ill. Yeah. (laughs) It's great. That was really funny. And I do have to wonder, though, related to the story about the hockey game 43 years ago, if Taylor was the goalkeeper and he helped score the winning goal by the hockey puck hitting his head, that would mean that it the puck would have to go all the way to the other side and make it in the other (laughs) net. It's not just like hitting his head and going in his net because that would be a point for the other team. So that's even more impressive. That's quite the ricochet, I would say. (laughs) Yeah, he must have a thick skull for that. Yeah, and Luke is looking at the back of his head and says he can see the dent or something like that. So maybe it did happen. Classic. (laughs) I I have to say this was the first episode where I felt sorry for Taylor. Yeah, I feel like I felt the same way in the upcoming scene too which we'll get to. Uh, But before that, we've got a Friday night dinner, which was a pretty entertaining Friday night dinner as far as they go. I found this, I remembered vaguely about one where Lorelai and Rory eat really fast. And so Mm -hmm. it is this one. And Lorelai is like claiming Rory's giving it away because she's eating small bites too quickly when you're supposed to eat bigger bites slowly and it's just very it's a very funny back and forth and as it's unfolding Emily is also once again complaining about tricks endlessly and she eventually notices that Lorelai and Roy are eating so fast and she's like well we're just gonna sit here until someone is honest with me like they're both her children (laughs) and they're like she has a date she does. Her starts earlier. Well, she gets to stay out later. And Emily's like, you're behaving like children. And if you don't stop this behavior, um, I'm going to add a game of charades on to our dessert. And they both go like, yes, mom. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah, it was great. During this scene also, Trix's mattress arrives mm-hmm. because Trix will be staying with them for a couple days and she doesn't trust Emily's housekeeping to the point where she has sent her own mattress to sleep in, which I thought was great. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine having a mother-in-law like that, like Just nightmare fuel. torture. After the scene, we're like in a rush back at home and Lorelai is heading out supposedly to see Alex, mm. though we never see him. I guess course. he exists, though, within the storyline still. Was he named? I don't even remember if he was named Yeah, he was, actually. Okay. Well, and... Rory gets back. She has been assuming that Jess would call to set up a time for them to meet. She checks the messages and there aren't any. So she settles down to wait for him to call, Mm. which is the beginning of the 
storyline basically for the episode and Lorelai kind of makes her uh discomfort with this known from the beginning Mm -hmm. like she kind of admonishes Rory for just sitting around and waiting for a guy and she'll get more in depth with that later on which I thought was good um but yeah Jess says not proving good at making any plans or making any effort whatsoever (laughs) very disappointing yeah and I can remember the frustration of waiting for someone that you're interested in to contact you back. And then for me, it was text messages, which is an even more like something that will hurt even more because it's like, oh, it's so easy to send a text. And so if they don't, mm-hmm. it's like or they leave you on red. There's like so many new ways to be like <laughs> stood up by um, a person you're romantically interested in these days. It's yeah. awful. <laughs> And being stood up by anybody, like... Yeah, true. Being stood up by friends, it's just a, such a shitty feeling. Mm-hmm. Even if they end up having a good excuse for it in the end, which Jess does not, <laughs> it's just never feels good. And it is so easy to, like, mope as a response to mm-hmm. it and sit around to wait and kind of, like, just let your anger boil. And so Lorelai's advice was good and it doesn't kind of influence Rory until the next day as we'll see they are still talking about this the next morning on Saturday Rory explains how she ended up spending her time that night which involves clearing her hard drive (laughs) and cleaning her keyboard Lorelai asks a good question like why don't you call him and Oh, well, she says, has it, did it never occur to you to call him? And Rory is kind of like, well, no, because we agreed he would call me. And there's half of this that is petty in a way, like you could have called him and you might have had plans. But the other half is like, no, if they agreed for him to call her, I don't think there's anything wrong with her expecting that and not wanting to like call him in return, you know? Yeah. At first I was about to make this a Friday night dinner, like picking back up on our critique of Rory, never taking the initiative in anything. But I think I think you're right because at some point you can't, like even in a friendship, if you're always the one making the plans mm-hmm. and the other person never puts in any effort, it feels just as bad as if the other person says they're going to put in effort and <laughs> then doesn't. So yeah. like there's no win in this situation. Plus, we find out that Jess was at work and how she's supposed to contact him. That's a good point. Then I don't know that he has a pager like she does or a cell phone. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she could have done something or like been straightforward with him about things. Right. Still, I understand why she didn't. Yeah. And as they are having this conversation, they're walking by the high school, which has been TP'd like the entire building, which was... (laughs) pretty impressive actually that's a lot of toilet paper yeah it really is that's what we needed during the pandemic all that toilet paper (laughs) Um, but you know Rory sees Dean and immediately goes to make the connection the comparison when Dean said he'd call he always called and this is where I don't I'm not with Rory on her reaction to things because Mm -hmm. like Lorelai says in response like you cannot compare the two. People are different. And I thought that was good advice. She does, of course, go into yeah. the whole Dean was an exceptional first boyfriend. You were spoiled. And 
this is like a common belief about Rory's relationships that Dean was the exceptional first boyfriend or like yeah he might not have been great later on but he was such a good first boyfriend Rory herself says this in the revival and I don't know like sometimes I think what was so exceptional about him I feel like he did the bare minimum but I guess compared to some of Jess's behaviors Dean was more reliable on some of those things like phone calls and dating and like hanging out with her family and things like that. So maybe I have to give him a little bit of credit where credit is due. But still, it's so unfair of Roy to like compare him to Jess and like regret the decision that she made um, to choose Jess instead. It's very much like the grass is greener. Like now that she's somewhere else, she's like looking back, like um, kind of like, um, idealizing her past relationship when she was like bored to death really like you don't want that back (laughs) and she was annoyed with how often he called true (laughs) like there was that whole episode about how he called like 12 times a night or something so it's like it's just selective memory like that it wasn't as great as she's trying to make it sound like it was on Lorelai's part as well because Lorelai was also kind of noticing the intense phone an intense amount of phone calls that night too i also just realized the same solution happens in both of those circumstances lorelei is the one who tells dean you know maybe you need to like back off let her miss you and she is here the one who tells jess like you need to step up and actually make plans and follow through with her so interesting Without Lorelai, what would have happened in these relationships? Like, she is the one who actually does the communication in the relationships, it seems. That's a good point. I feel like in that way, that is the role of, like, Lorelai as the friend rather than the Mm -hmm. mom. Like, because I feel like friends are always there to give you advice about relationships and friendships and other things like that. And sometimes they do even, like, intervene on your behalf if they know people involved. So... That is interesting. Yeah, like what would have happened if Lorelai hadn't stepped in? Like for all we say about her not always having the best boundaries, she is kind of making things happen for Roy in a way for yeah. the better <laughs> in a way in both of those situations. From her from her experience with dating, she's an adult who's dated a lot. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> I'll also nominate in this scene the coat that Rory is wearing for my Lorelai's closet. She wears it again later. It's sort of like a sea green colored coat, I would say, and sort of like a corduroy-ish fabric, and it's got like a fuzzy kind of collar, and I just thought it looked very cute, and it's like a good in-between of like a winter coat and a jean jacket. Like I don't see jackets like that very often, and I just was like, oh, I would wear that. I liked it. It was a fun color for her too. We don't always see like a sea green kind of color yeah I like that I also noticed she had like a like blue scarf on Mm -hmm. and matching blue gloves it was very like I don't know very cool tone outfit (laughs) yeah what month do you think it is I don't know it's gotta be I don't know maybe like March or April okay maybe I mean it's basketball so maybe no hockey Oh, hockey. (laughs) I just talked so much about basketball. (laughs) It's, well, hockey, I guess, isn't that just a winter sport? So maybe it's like the beginning of March or something. Yeah. I don't know. 
yeah no idea i don't either we're kind of in a nebulous time right now i feel yeah after the holidays Mm -hmm. (laughs) and before the end of the year yeah and they're wearing coats still so it's cold yeah (laughs) yeah so the rest of this scene takes place at the diner or yeah Mm -hmm. they go into the diner and jess doesn't mention anything about missing the night before acknowledge it in any way he just tells them to sit at a table and luke during all of this is very grumpy about the hockey people um they're just all always there and he tells us a little bit about his background he's really grumpy that the town is only acknowledging this semifinals for the hockey team Whereas when he was in track, they went to the semifinals all the time and they actually won. <laughs> and I think that that's like a common complaint Yeah, for a lot of school districts. It's like either hockey or football that gets all the attention no matter how good those teams are. And then the other sports just like kind of get left out in the cold because maybe they're not so much spectator sports. Like track isn't that fun to watch it's not they may be great but it's like what are you just gonna you know watch them run around in a circle Mm -hmm. like it's great athleticism but you know unless you have olympics commentators and stuff and the little like graphics it's not that great (laughs) yeah agreed i liked that they kept up the luke and track though because we had learned about that oh yeah that's true high school when lorelei and he go to talk and she made fun mm-hmm. of his little outfit. So I'm glad they kept <laughs> up with that. <laughs> yeah, continuity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's at this point where Rory kind of huffs off with some donuts, I believe, uh, to go to band practice because, um, and I use the word huff because Jess hands her the donuts and she kind of gives them the cold shoulder. And he asked Lorelai, once she's left, like, what, are you guys in a fight? And she's like, no, stupid. <laughs> you guys are in a fight. So and oblivious. I know. And Jess explains that, oh, well, I had, an- I had to work another shift, so it was too late to call afterward. And Lorelai's like, could you not have called her on a break? Which I feel like is a very good question. Or mm-hmm. why didn't he just say it immediately this morning? It, like you said, he's just so oblivious and... That's why, I'd, I don't know, it's just like a communication problem for, for both of them, but I would, I don't know, I'd primarily, it's like, it's pretty much on Jess at this point, like, you could, he could have just called, like, on the break, yeah. it's not that hard, it's not rocket science. It also just makes him seem so disinterested in their relationship, which I think is, like, the opposite, like, he's actually pretty invested in it, mm-hmm. kind of going off of what last week's episode was where he's like expressing so much self-doubt yeah and that's like why he's acting this way but you know you gotta show some sort of investment you gotta at least want to be around the person you're in a relationship with otherwise what's the point I wonder if this also kind of relates to some of his nature of being like independent and rebellious and not wanting to be tied down to like parental authority or here authority of like someone else like a partnership in a way um yeah just I don't know based on how he especially the way he is when we first meet him you know like he's so resistant toward Luke and any kind of rules that govern his behavior to the point where it's like 
I don't even think that's like what he really wants on the inside. Like I think he does value the relationship with Luke and Rory as well. But then it's like he's got this side where he's just kind of been conditioned by his circumstances Mm -hmm. and he reacts in this way that is like fight or flight. And it's like often fight, but we'll see it as flight later on too, you know. So it's kind of like, I don't know that is really like seeping into his relationship dynamics as well as we see here, I think. Because he is invested. So it's like, why are you not acting in your best favor? (laughs) Especially after Luke gave him all the advice last episode. And it seemed like he kind of heard some of it because he did talk to Rory afterward and say like, next time to imply like, oh, there will be a next time I meet your family. And this just seems to be like, two steps back from that one step forward Mm -hmm. or maybe five steps back I don't know (laughs) yeah he just makes it a self-fulfilling prophecy this whole time like he doesn't think he's good enough for her so he doesn't act good enough for her yeah and then he becomes not good enough for her you know all of that but after this we go to Lorelai and Rory's house for a pretty fun scene uh Lane and Dave have been working out on a plan for Uh, kind of getting back into Mrs. Kim's good graces, which includes Zach and Brian playing with Dave for Mrs. Kim. And then we get this great little scene of Zach playing a hymn and singing one of the songs. And I have my Rory's bookshelf in this (laughs) because he gets stuck on this word bulwarks and is like, has no idea what it means, how if he's saying it correctly, he just doesn't understand what's happening in the song. So I thought this was a good opportunity to have a little history lesson. Let's go. Bulwarks is um, an interesting word. You can find cognates for it in most of the Scandinavian words and in du- uh, languages and in Dutch and also in French. Um, and it all comes back to this little time period in the end of the 8th century and the beginning and all of the 9th century and 10th century that just happens to be what I just wrote a 300 page dissertation on (laughs) (laughs) and it is the first viking age where raiders and invaders basically from Scandinavia from Denmark and Norway kind of combined and elsewhere started invading throughout Europe including England and France. That's where Normandy comes from. They settled a place, an area in Francia, and which became Normandy. The Northmen uh, lived there, and they lived in England. They settled in England in the ni- uh, the end of the uh, ninth century and into the tenth century, and that's where we get a lot of Old Norse words in Old English. So this word it has. Old English and Old Norse are really closely connected even before they started merging during this period because they're both Germanic languages. So you can break down bulwark just in Old English, but it wasn't used in Old English until the presence of Old Norse. Mm. And it means basically bull is a tree, like pole, and work is a construction, something made from something. So it's, you know, a construction made from trees And so we mostly get this word from Old Norse, and then it became used in Old English during this period. It also was used in French 
during this period mm-hmm. and became a word that we use today, boulevard. Oh. Um, so it's all from the same etymological tree. And so that's my little history on this one word that trips Zach up, bulwarks. It's also just a fun word to say. Yeah. It's got some cool sounds. And he picks the synonym wall in the end, which I feel like is actually yeah. fairly accurate because you know mm-hmm. a wall can often be made of trees wood you know like you said yeah and oftentimes they'd be like some sort of like retaining wall mm-hmm. or something to do with like fortifying an area or a place so yeah that's so fun I think he, he he rewrote this song pretty well actually <laughs> <laughs> i did have one cringe moment in the scene though because he says bulwark sounds totally gay which felt oh, so yeah. like 2000s back when Hillary Duff had to do an ad that said you shouldn't use gay as um, a bad word or whatever. She oh, had like a commercial about it. <laughs> yeah. It was like wow. the don't say gay movement or something. I can't remember. It had a title. But is that where they got the don't say gay law now in Florida? <laughs> oh, God. I think they meant it in a different way. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I am remembering the current actually. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Either way, no, she did that. Um, <laughs> that totally got me sidetracked. But <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. I just thought this was like, oh, this is my second strike against Zach. Like, he's been pretty cringe so far. But I hope they kind of turn him around as he becomes more of a main character. Meanwhile, Brian is a delight and <laughs> saying he's <Yeah. laughs> hypoglycemic, and if he doesn't get something in his system, he's gonna crash. And I. Agree, though. Like, if I hadn't eaten breakfast before band practice, I would mm-hmm. be not good at being in a band. Yeah, seriously. Those muffins also, though, like, just knowing about the glycemic index might not be the best thing <laughs> for a steady energy stream. Yeah. Ugh. But, you know, teenagers can... The things I lived off of as a teenager, I don't think I could deal with anymore. <laughs> so true. Like, gas station pies and energy drinks for a full day yeah I would drink like a monster energy drink and for what Mm -hmm. like what energy did I need I was just hanging out with my friends (laughs) yeah it's just like they did taste good the sugar (laughs) my memory of them tastes good yeah and it was also just like the coolness factor I think yeah yeah definitely (laughs) so we find out that young Chu is going to be taking Lane to the hockey game we also find out a little bit of a tidbit about Young Chu is that he also has kind of a secret relationship with a girl, was it Karen? Yeah. Who is Japanese. And so his parents don't approve of her. And so that's why he's kind of, you know, on game for this whole plan of being basically like a beard <laughs> mm-hmm. for Lane so that she can, she and Dave can keep working on converting Miss, Mrs. Kim to liking Dave and uh, finding out that Dave might actually be the best possible option for Elaine, hopefully, ideally. (laughs) I feel like this was slightly more complex racial dynamics or ethnic dynamics than Gilmore Girls usually gets into because the fact that, you know, Young Chu and Lane are both from families who want them to date Korean people. And I feel like the maybe a typical more uneducated American watching the show would be like, oh, Korean and Japanese, like, what's the difference? Because it's very much like 
Asian cuisine. Like they just never even distinguish from the fact that these are like very distinct cultures and countries and whatnot. So it was actually, I kind of like the detail that his girlfriend is Japanese and his family doesn't approve of her for that reason. It's interesting that they can make that distinction though within Mm -hmm. the script, but not within the actors like (laughs) they have Japanese actresses playing Korean characters and they could have just made Lane Japanese (laughs) but they didn't that's actually a super big irony that they do write that but then they themselves are part of the fallacy of not yeah (laughs) uh, like honoring or acknowledging that distinction (laughs) yeah like trying not uh just like continuing to blur the lines Mm -hmm. and make the American perception of Asian cultures one, like, monolith. Yeah, that's a good word to describe it, monolith, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, Zach finishes off this scene with his rewrite of this hymn, which, as I said, I think he did a good job of getting the gist of things. (laughs) And it strangely worked, like, it sounded pretty good, I'd have to say. Yeah. As far as rewrites go. (laughs) I also liked in the scene that Lane compliments Dave as having a natural gift for subterfuge, which is just the fun quality of their dynamic that we've seen before. And I could just envision them as like an older couple, like just doing fun subterfuge things, even when they don't need to anymore. Like not... It could be like role playing to take it to a spicy area or just any other like shenanigans in life to like just keep like entertaining each other and whatnot or messing with their kids or something. It's like yeah. just such a fun quality <laughs> that I'll miss when he's gone. Yeah, like their April Fool's jokes would be. Yeah, great. exactly. <laughs> Sadly, Dave disappears soon as well. He goes the to live with Alex. <laughs> yeah. So after this, uh, we are at the inn, and the Dosi clan is there, um, all kind of being harangued by Taylor, who is trying to give them like an itinerary, and this had my Stars Hollow moment in it, when Taylor's brother just comes up and cancels all of the plans because they all grew up in Stars Hollow anyways, and I just love this, that... Taylor is so proud of Stars Hollow and like his kind of stamp on the town that he wants like he he just wants to show it off to everybody and I know I'm often kind of a Taylor apologist because I find him very fun and uh like a fun character even though he's kind of an asshole often Mm -hmm. but in this scene I felt bad for him he just wanted to show off all of the things that he had done in Stars Hollow in his many roles and his family just didn't care poor guy. (laughs) Yeah, I thought his older brother was so mean and Mm -hmm. bossy, and it's easy to imagine Taylor bossing the town around and feeling empowered by that role could very much be something he was denied in the family dynamic where his brother is the bossy and in control one. I just wish they had showed the family more throughout the episode. I felt like they were setting it up to be like, oh, it's all going to be full of the different Dosi family members. And we saw some of them here, and they're all kind of eccentric in their own ways. Like, one old guy was, like, harassing Michelle and saying Michelle, like, called him a Frenchie, which seemed pretty rude. <laughs> and, yeah, very uh, rude. <laughs> I just wish they had been at, like, the hockey game later or something. Like, we mm-hmm. could have seen a few 
different vignettes with them being I don't know and like it, they could have built up the the sympathy for Taylor even more if they showed his brother being mean throughout and like I think that is something they need to do at times is like touch back in with making us feel sympathy for Taylor because otherwise it can get a little gradient sometimes but I agree he is like a problematic fave you know and this is where some of the fave shines through yeah I agree <laughs> I was I was pretty disgusted by the guy who was making fun of or like causing trouble with Michelle yeah he was being like, so World War II guy yeah and it's like come on man I mean it kind of felt like a weird kind of red herring where normally you would expect Michelle to be treated this way because he's black and the show was just like yeah or gay and the show was just like these are the low-hanging fruit so we're gonna go for the French thing and like turn like you know be kind of tricky and it's like you could just not harass Michelle (laughs) that's actually a really really good observation I haven't thought about it that way but it's so true like yeah I really I really I think that's really convincing that the Frenchness is like the mask for them like making him be the brunt bear the brunt of oppression in like other ways or like microaggressions like this was kind of more of a macro microaggression but still like and then (laughs) it's about the Frenchness rather than other things that would be likely in the real world and they don't quite want like some of the realness of like what someone who is Michelle would experience to like interrupt the show that is Mm -hmm. overall mostly like lighthearted except for a few moments that are centered on like the Gilmore girls you know so it's like they don't want to go there but it's their fault for writing that character in the first place and then not exploring them same with like Lane and Mrs. Kim and others (sighs) wow yeah yeah very true (laughs) All right. Well, back to the scene at hand. Lorelai, after she's dealt with the doses, discovers that Emily is there. And she says, Mom. And Emily responds with my just sass attack. You remembered. I'm so touched. (laughs) I just love the dry wit there. And we learn that Emily has been banished from her own home by tricks, which is so sad. Um, she doesn't know what to do with herself and she's very put out because Trix has sent her with this whole list of errands. Lorelai offers to help out and bring her a slide projector, which I actually like because we saw her use the slide projector when yeah. they came back from Harvard. So I liked that little detail yeah, that Lorelai owns one. And Lorelai is in general being quite supportive of Emily and Emily is like genuinely thanks her at one point and Lorelai says like hold on to that I need to go get a tape recorder (laughs) get this on record Uh, it was nice to see yeah I had my Lorelai's closet in this scene for Emily and Lorelai together because I don't know if you noticed but their outfits were matching I didn't so um let's see Lorelai's shirt was like a gray black kind of design and she had a beige blazer over it and Emily had a beige turtleneck on with a gray black cardigan over it so they were wearing like the same colors the beiges were exactly the same just kind of opposite I thought it was 
to go into some symbolism. I thought that it was like a kind of uh, showing them as a united front, both of them having dealt with now semi-abusive mothers, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though Emily is that for Lorelai. Right. And they're like working together now against Trix. But I liked that. I just thought it was so cool that they were like so closely connected in their outfits. Yeah. Oftentimes they're like similar themes, but these were like exact color copies. Yeah. That's really good. It symbolizes like the common ground, like mm-hmm. common colors, common ground of them both. Like Emily can finally feel in Lorelai's shoes in a way through this experience. So it actually allows yeah. them to like bond and relate in a way that is like different from their that's like their common like strife you know that they just can't relate or communicate and yeah Trix brings out the best in them by bringing out the worst in Emily in a way yeah Emily was also like pretty vulnerable yeah for her in this scene where she like really kind of almost broke down and was explaining that she's have had a lot of trouble with Richard traveling so often and then now that whenever he's back Trix is there she doesn't really get to see him and this will come up again later when she tells Trix basically the same thing and they bond on their kind of shared loneliness yeah she even says she's feeling sensitive right now so this is like yeah I don't know as close as she can get as a sort of waspy person to like acknowledge (laughs) her feelings here and kind of ask for help and emotional support in a way. Moving forward, it is later on Saturday night. The band is at the Kim's. Makes me wonder when they decide on the name Hep Alien because it hasn't come up yet. So I just keep saying the band. And... Lane is leaving for her date with Young Chu. He arrives, has flowers. Mrs. Kim takes a picture, says that's for the grandkids, and <laughs> even says whatever when Lane says she'll be home by nine. So she's like, wow. clearly with the good Korean boy, it's like she's behaving very differently. Mm-hmm. And as they leave, Dave has a sort of sad and jealous look on his face. And I was like, uh-oh, you know. This is where subterfuge comes to kind of kick him in the butt. Like this was his plan, but now he's kind of second guessing it and feeling more uncomfortable than he probably thought he would feel. Yeah, he's had so many opportunities to have those like sad, jealous looks in the background of a Mrs. Kim and Lane conversation. Yeah, good acting from Adam Brody in the face. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it does beg the question. Uh, well, I know they have like a two-pronged goal with this, and part of it is about getting back in Mrs. Kim's good graces. But another part of me was like, why not use this date as a cover and then mm-hmm. go on a date with Dave at the hockey game? And yeah. then Young Shu and his girlfriend, Karen, could have been there too, and they're like covering for each other. I guess that would be a way to like prolong a secret relationship, but this plan is more about trying to have a real out in the open relationship yeah eventually eventually yeah it's very complicated Mm -hmm. it's a system Um, (laughs) yeah we interrupt this podcast with a message from our sponsor 
For the first time in 43 years, the Stars Hollow Minutemen are in the regional semifinals. Their journey to their big game against the West Hartford Wildcats wasn't exactly the plot of Hoosiers. Word on the street is they got their place because the Litchfield team got food poisoning. But it's still exciting. Let's hope this semifinals match is as engrossing as the last. In that memorable game, a younger Taylor Dosey, the goalkeeper, took a puck to the head. Then that puck ricocheted off his head and fell into the net for the game-winning goal. Since then, the Dosies have been the backbone of Stars Hollow hockey. The high school has gone all out for what is sure to be a historical event. Enjoy concessions as well as sports commentary from our very own Kirk. He's read the Hockey for Dummies guide, so he's definitely prepared, and no one will want to rip his head off by the end of the night. He may get a bit heavy into some Bible illusions and predictions of which town members will be dead in 40 years, though. If you want to show your Stars Hollow Minutemen pride and get a good deal out of it, stop by Dosey's today for your very own button pin. The pin reads, Stars Hollow Hockey, 2003, semi-finalists. Go Minutemen, the future is yours. Bring this button into Dosey's for 50% off your next purchase of stovetop stuffing. This pin will make you say, Wow, that's a lot of words for a tiny button. How great is that? Go Minutemen. The next scene, we're back at the inn and uh, Suki tells Lorelai about some other things that Emily needs. And so Lorelai calls home. She's calling home to check the answering machine, which is for all the youngsters out there, something hmm. you used to have to do. <laughs> Lo and behold, Rory picks up. Lorelai had expected that Rory would be out with Jess. And it turns out that yet again, Jess has not called. And here's where Lorelai really gives her great advice. She's like, she tells Rory that she has to get out and do something. She can't be the girl who just sits there and waits and gets angry. And then as soon as the boy turns up, kind of lets it all go, which Mm -hmm. uh, we see is exactly what happens. (laughs) To be continued. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But she convinces Rory to get out and go to the hockey game, even though that's not her cup of tea, but just to be out of the house Mm -hmm. so that Jess can like maybe show up and kind of realize his mistake, hopefully. I like the dialogue they had at the end of the call. It felt very pep talk. Like, yeah. Lorelai's like, if he calls, Rory says, who cares? And Lorelai <laughs> says, that's my girl. And she says, thanks, mom. And it kind of reminded me of earlier at the hospital with Sherry when Rory was like, I want my mom and I don't care who mm-hmm. hears or knows. It felt that way again. It was really cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so we're going to the hockey game, I suppose. Yeah. I do have a side question. Why do you think Jess didn't? call tonight when he it had been brought to his attention that Rory had been upset is this like a a pride thing where he's previously not calling because he's annoyed that Rory was annoyed or did he just forget again or like he doesn't have an excuse he just shows up later I don't (sighs) know part of me wonders whether he has decided that Lorelai hates him and everything (laughs) she does is to try and keep them apart so Mm. she was like lying to him or something because I feel like he doesn't really like actually make the connection that he could lose Rory over all of this until he shows up later and she's not there waiting for him so he it like clearly didn't click later earlier on yeah and I I also was like oh maybe he was working um which I don't think is necessarily true but it it does make me think about like something that we didn't bring up earlier necessarily which is the fact that like 
he couldn't go out with her because he was working another shift. And so like there is sort of a dynamic of just needing to make money and that being the reason that he was gone from Rory and maybe him resenting the fact that he had to work and that like there's just a class dynamic there of Rory not having a job or anything and her maybe not understanding that he wouldn't be able to like hang out because of his work and he's working two jobs and working one clearly late into the night on like a Friday night so there is something there I think to consider as well yeah that's so true having a job as a teenager like really hampers your social life Mm -hmm. I remember that well (laughs) Um, the next scene, we are at the Gilmore's house, and this is the big, I don't know, shock scene of the episode. Truly. Emily comes back. She's got her arms full of things for tricks, and she comes in the front door, looks into the little parlor area, and what does she see but tricks seriously making out with this guy in a bright purple tracksuit? And Emily, like, very comedically backs back out of the front door and stands outside and just has, like, this look of shock on her face. It's a great scene. It really was. She goes, oh, my. (laughs) Yeah. We don't get any more of this right now, but we'll see the effect that that has on Emily later. Oh, we Uh, definitely will. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, we are at the open of the hockey game. Accordingly... Babette and Miss Patty are singing mm-hmm. the national anthem. Miss Patty takes great. Yeah, she takes the upper octave for many of the long notes. It's a good duo. And we've also got Kirk as our announcer, <laughs> which was my Stars Hollow moment. He's great. <laughs> I I just think it's so funny for him to be the announcer when he clearly knows nothing about hockey. There is like the dummies for hockey book in front of him on the table um later on dean tells him like a lot of the guys not him but some of the other guys are getting so frustrated with kirk they want to tear his head off at the end he like makes biblical allusions and just all this different stuff um that is very humorous a welcome addition to what would otherwise be a fairly like standard hockey game you know but i do want to raise the question as well um One, since when has Dean been a hockey player? Does he just play every sport? Two, what are the odds that Stars Hollow High would have its own hockey rink? Because that's a great question. (laughs) I also came from a small town high school. We definitely did not have a hockey team. Or like if you wanted to be on swim team, you had to go to a nearby high school that had a pool. Like there was a lot of stuff that we didn't have. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's different. In Connecticut and like the Northeast, where I bet hockey's even more popular because it's like a cold sport. I don't know, but I would be curious to know from any other Connecticut people if they listen, like, yeah. would this happen? Because I feel like I'm like they don't have their own hockey rink, and also where is it? Like, <laughs> Dave apparently runs a mile to get there, but I don't feel Stars Hall is too small. We for a hockey rink, what? <laughs> They're big, aren't they? It made me wonder, like, I'm not super familiar with the East Coast, so this might be completely out of line, but if there are a whole bunch of little towns pretty close together that have kind of, like, merged in suburbia in a way, 
if some of the school districts might like have a shared like shared facilities for some of those big things but then you would also expect it to be further away yeah I don't know my the town I grew up in had we didn't have a pool for the school but there was like an aquatic center in town that the school used and then we had there was also a skating rink that the town had that we that the hockey I don't I actually don't know if we had a hockey team or not but I know like kids in hockey teams Mm -hmm. played there but I don't know if the high school had one yeah we had in like the town over that was bigger there was an ice arena and people did play hockey there and there was also in town like a professional like a smaller professional hockey team that Mm -hmm. played but I don't know it's also worth noting that hockey is like a rather expensive sport too Mm -hmm. with all of the equipment and whatnot and so I don't know it would have been cool to hear a mention of like Dean is working so that he could afford his hockey equipment or something like that but it's just more plot convenient for him to just be on the hockey team I feel like (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's kind of strange like at the very beginning when he was starting to date Rory he was all talking about how he's not a big joiner Oh, yeah. And he ends up being kind of like the catch-all jock just on any of the teams that they need him to be on. Yeah, he did basketball before. Yeah, and he did softball. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. What a joiner. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Um, I had my Friday night dinner during this scene because Rory comes up and sits down with Lane and pretends that everything is fine. Lane uh, can tell yeah. that something's off, but Rory won't tell her. And I'm just so frustrated with Rory not telling anybody what's going on. I just, I, like, I, I can understand keeping things private, like, from your mom and stuff. But I just can't imagine having a best friend and not telling them anything that's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. It just seems so unrealistic. I don't know. I feel like maybe I... I don't, I, I don't feel like I was, you know, unique in this way, but if something happened to me, I would tell my best friend about it, like, right away or, like, text them right away or at least the next time I saw them, I'd be asking for advice. <laughs> I completely agree. I don't think you're alone in that observation of how friendships function. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was glad that she took Lorelai's advice to get out of the house But I was so annoyed like you like that she's still in denial about the fact that she's upset and it's okay to acknowledge that you're upset and especially with your friend which is a very safe space and it's as if like it's part of Roy's character in that she refuses to like communicate or address conflict and it's like to the point does it go so deep that she can't even admit it to herself to her friend like to put words to it almost feels like does it make it more real or something or is it also on the level of the story and that the writers feel like oh if Rory like seeks out advice from people she might actually like solve the conflict or something like that or might grow have character (laughs) growth and maybe they're like well we want to stretch out this conflict for a while longer so like we can't have her wrap it up too soon and be more wise and actually like grow based on friendship like people do I don't know I think it could be both of those things (laughs) yeah that's true it's just so frustrating totally and during this also Dean waves at Rory ah yes 
I thought that was kind of weird because Lindsay seems to be sitting down below them. So it's like, is he actually waving at her? And Rory just doesn't like mistakenly thinks it's oh directed at her or what? Interesting. <laughs> we're not really told one way or the other. As the, the hockey game is going on, the band is still playing at Mrs. Kim's. She gives them a break, tells Brian it's a good time to retune, which is really funny. <laughs> And Dave decides spontaneously to just run to go see Lane and check up on her. <laughs> and so... He's so cute. I know. We catch up with Dave when he arrives at the hockey rink. But before this, we get a bit of conversation between Lane and Rory. She's been talking to Karen um, to try to calm her down, which didn't seem to work very well. <laughs> And this is when the two of them run into Lindsay. So this is the arrival of Lindsay here. And she seems, Rory and Lane both seem to know her. Rory knew her from her time at Stars Hollow High. And the interaction is pretty weird. Um, even though Rory and Lane are trying to do a good amount of small talk like you normally would. But we will soon come to find out the reason that Lindsay is being weird around Rory in particular but for now we have the arrival of Dave who is totally out of breath he <laughs> ran over a mile which I thought was hilarious he has enough time to like check in briefly and then has to run back immediately which that would make Dave's mile time very good I feel yeah. like yeah he's got 15 minutes like five minutes there like, a five minute yeah. mile there five minute mile back like yeah wow. that's I remember, though, in high school, <clears throat> running the mile, obviously my mile time was like 10 minutes or so, right. <laughs> but there were there were like a fair number of boys who would have mile times like six minutes and under. Yeah, it's doable. It's just funny <laughs> that yeah. he did that just to go see Lane. So cute. <laughs> and they're like, he's not as cool as we thought. And Lane is happy that he's jealous. She's never made someone jealous mm -hmm. before, which is cute. And it's not yeah. that unhealthy for the two of them. So I can allow it. <laughs> I was a bit surprised she didn't like give her a kiss or something. But they are in public. And so far, their affection seems to be like just private stuff. So yeah, I almost feel like. I think it makes sense for their relationship that the two of them would be pretty private, especially with Lane her whole life. She has to like hide things right from her mom. But as like a viewer and as a fan of the two, I do feel a little deprived of like the physical, just the kisses and whatnot between them because we get them left and right from Rory and Jess. And I would just like a little bit more. I, It's like they do take them seriously as a couple. The writers do, but like. Not quite in the same way. I don't yeah. know. I just wish they could have had a few more kiss scenes because I like them. Yeah, I agree. I think that the party episode is coming up soon. So we'll see what happens with their relationship then. <laughs> yeah. I also like this little like side thing we learn in this conversation, which is Rory wondering, like, does Lindsay not like me for some reason? And Lane says... Well, some people do think you oh, went to yeah. Chilton and that you're a snob now. And she lists like three people off the top of her mind who think that. And I just thought that was a little funny because it's like we always get the Roy is the beloved town angel sort of plot line. So it's kind of nice to know that there is like another 
maybe like teenage portion of the town that are like jealous of her and think she's a snob for going to Chilton and whatnot. I just like that it gives more texture to the town, you know, yeah. and views of Rory. And at the end, Rory's like, so tell me more about like people who think I'm a snob. <laughs> but it's so realistic too. I can't believe mm-hmm. that it's never come up before. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So after this, we're at Lorelai and Rory's house and Jess shows up finally (laughs) and he's asking Lorelai if Rory is there and Lorelai is just like are you serious and she kind of hassles him about how stupid he's being really because she laid it out clearly for him earlier in the day and he like just did not catch on and he says he just doesn't like to live by a schedule which (laughs) like is so I mean, that's so, like, in line with his persona that he's portraying. I feel like that's the same attitude as I'm not a joiner. Yeah. I don't live on a totally schedule. Is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Lorelai says something very astute that's just, like, Jess doesn't really seem to know how to treat Rory well, mm-hmm. um, which is the truth. And I think it goes back to things, like, we've said in the past with just what was modeled to him as a kid and growing up so far. And, like, obviously he can also change and learn and everything, but he also has such small, like, so few examples of how Mm -hmm. to treat somebody well in a relationship that it makes sense that, you know, he's struggling with that at the moment. I think we think of him as, like, an experienced guy because his relationship with Shane is so sexual and, like, very visibly so, but he's actually quite inexperienced when it comes to serious relationships I think so like we always view Rory as inexperienced when she started dating Dean and that was like a central part of the story that she was so nervous and awkward you know the kiss where she shoplifts and like (laughs) we don't give that same lens to Jess necessarily Mm -hmm. um because he is learning hopefully but it's also that his like inexperience leads to like negative things in the relationship whereas Rory's didn't really it was more so for like relatableness you know yeah (laughs) Uh, that just made me realize how long it's been since I've watched the first like two seasons of the (laughs) show (laughs) so weird to not do an annual rewatch I know maybe we will Again, (laughs) I don't know how long I can put it off, you know. I know, same. Well, we're back at the hockey game again. There's a lot of back and forth at this point in the episode. And this is when Rory learns why Lindsay was being weird with her. As Lane says, it's not because Lindsay thinks she's snobbish. It's because she's now dating Dean. And we see Mm -hmm. Dean and Lindsay kiss. And then a bit later in the scene, we see... Lindsay, I think, wearing Dean's Letterman jacket and sitting with her friends, smiling and like looking at Dean. And Rory and Lane have a conversation about this. And Lane is like, Oh, I'm so sorry I didn't keep you informed. Like, I didn't stay on top of the gossip, which is true. Like, you think she would have maybe noticed, but maybe she's been very into like the Dave stuff recently. Um, and in this conversation, Rory keeps saying, like, it's okay, she's not bothered. And later on, that's kind of the tone she takes with Dean as well. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think? Do you think Rory is being genuine when she says she's okay with this? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I don't, like I couldn't actually tell. Like I actually felt like 
I don't know. She seemed like I almost believed her here more than I did earlier when she was saying nothing was going on with Jess. Like I almost felt like she was okay with Dean dating someone else. Maybe I'm being naive, but (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was all posturing. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Like she says that she didn't expect him to wait around pining for her, but like, and I think it also is super contextual because she's been comparing Dean and Jess and like kind of wistfully remembering their relationship. So I think maybe if things had been going well with Jess, she wouldn't, she would have actually been totally okay with it, but. I don't know if maybe there was a part of her that was like, well, Dean is still single, so, (laughs) and he'll just kind of always be there waiting in the wings for me, kind of like when Lorelai said the same thing about Christopher. Yeah, I I think she was, I think it was a lie. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how I feel, but I, I do think that, like, the comparisons to Dean, I don't necessarily think she, like, wants Dean back at this point, but she wants Jess but with Dean's behaviors yeah yeah because <laughs> she's like well I still want to make out with Jess but <laughs> I want him to call me and make plans and be nice to my mom and my grandma and things like that um so I feel like the constant seeing Dean is like a constant reminder of what she doesn't have but I don't think she necessarily wants him at this point yeah that's true yeah so but I think both readings of the situation are fair definitely yeah either way She's super awkward about it. Yeah. <laughs> we have a quick scene after this, or we, after this, go back to the Gilmore's house mm-hmm. where Lorelai arrives with pots and pans and the projector and everything. And Emily appears and she is in a great mood, which is in a high contrast to how she's been lately <laughs> uh, with all the trick stuff. <laughs> there are three other women sitting with tricks and they all are dressed the same like in funeral wear or something like with these strange like 16th century elizabethan collars on their outfits puritan witches to me or something yeah they totally did and they're like looking at slides of course the projector's not there so they're like looking at them against the light and just kind of talking about art or whatever emily Brings in some iced tea. Of course, Trick says it's not cold enough. So Emily takes it to get some ice and starts kind of singing Love in the Afternoon. (laughs) She doesn't even hum it. She sings it straight out. And she is just in a great mood, uh, which is not not how she's been with Trick's at all lately. And she starts to try and hint about Trick's tryst, which I think is just a great... uh, potential episode title Ooh, Trix's Trist. <laughs> I like it Lorelai pulls or Lorelai goes into the kitchen with Emily and Emily let tells or spills the beans I guess about Trix kissing a guy in a purple <laughs> tracksuit hmm. and um she also adds that she hid in the bushes until the guy left which Lorelai is tickled by like that's just such a great image to think of with Emily so dignified hiding in the bushes um but Lorelai does a great thing here I think which is kind of rein Emily in who Emily's planning to use this as like a retaliation for all of the mistreatment from tricks but Lorelai tells her that that's not a great thing like it would just be so horrible to humiliate her in front of all of her friends and 
it's something private, you know, she obviously kept it a secret for a reason, and I, I hope, I wish that Emily had taken her advice, but I also love the resulting scenes. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I don't know, I was kind of on Emily's side, like, logically, I know Lorelai's response was good, the advice was, it was good, but like, I don't know, we've seen how tricks treats Emily yeah it is and terrible. I feel like Trix has it coming I wouldn't necessarily say like Emily should like publicly expose her in the way that she does but I would have liked to see her confront her about it or maybe tell just the family about it or lord it over her and kind of get her come up in this moment of like well I saw you do this so I don't know you just can't treat me like this anymore or something a little bit of blackmail or yeah. I don't know but <laughs> Yeah, I think I would have just liked the drama of that. And we do end up getting a very dramatic scene, as you mentioned. Um, Emily agrees to, like, not do anything, but she just blurts it out when she finds out that, like, Richard is out there and Trix is again having, a like, a condescending comment about her not having dinner ready on time. And she just bursts out, points her finger, and accuses Trix of, kissing a man in a tracksuit and one of her friends like one of Trix's friends nearly like seems to have a heart attack yeah. from the news <laughs> yeah but we get a scene cut here so we don't get to see the um how things kind of fall out after this until a bit later um but it was a very very good dramatic <laughs> moment at the end of the scene <laughs> mm-hmm. I loved it <laughs> I kind of wish she had been able to take a picture or something. Like, if that happened now, it would have snapped a picture. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but back at the game really quickly, Kirk is, as you had said, uh, giving a speech full of biblical allusions about how the Minutemen have failed. <laughs> and he starts talking about how many, it'll be another 43 years before they get there again and how many of the people will be dead, including <laughs> Taylor. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... We get a little scene with Dean and Rory, and she's pretty awkward, but I commended her in this scene for bringing it up. Yeah. It doesn't, because Dean didn't bring it up immediately, but she says, uh, she says that she thinks it's great, and I could, I don't know, I maybe I could have believed it more in this scene than the scene with Lane. I don't know, mm-hmm. but I still don't believe it at all. <laughs> Um, and then she she says that Lindsay is great and she gives this really weird anecdote that she'll like continue to <laughs> hang on to whenever she interacts with Lindsay for the rest of her life <laughs> about how Lindsay like gave her something at a school trip or whatever. And yeah, she just seems to be okay with it saying that Lindsay is great and she and Dean should be happy together. I think it's an interesting difference between her reaction to Jess Jess I combined their names (laughs) Jess and Shane where Mm -hmm. like Rory was like rabidly jealous of Shane and antagonistic toward her and part of it I mean all of it was about like how Shane was so sexual and whatnot and I wonder if her like evaluation of Lindsay and how she's like oh yeah she's cute and smart and really nice like she just treats her differently at least at this point and I think if Lindsay had been more like Shane, I think she would have been like mm-hmm. super less okay with it and maybe would yeah. have reacted in the same like territorial way. Um, so maybe that's partially why I'm like, oh, she seems okay with it because she's not reacting like she did to Jess. I can't say their names. <laughs> Shane and Jess. 
So yeah, so that's another thing that makes me think she doesn't actively want Dean because she's not reacting in that jealous way yet, at least. We'll see how it unfolds. But is this relationship between Shane and Dean the reason you said the other episode that like Dean doesn't really seem to be doing like the villain era Dean stuff, friending her to get in with her because he is like pursuing a relationship with Lindsay, which I think is ultimately better for Dean, <laughs> healthier. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I mean, it doesn't last. <laughs> it doesn't but... negate that, but like, <laughs> yeah, he tried, I guess. We can give him that much, that sliver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he could only hold hold out his villainry for so long. He doesn't play the long villain game like Jess did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, But Rory leaves this conversation and goes to a payphone to call Jess and finally speak her feelings. That's like so, so like the feelings come out in a big emotional speech Mm -hmm. rather than in like a conversation. It's very TV, to be honest, because we all love speeches, (laughs) right? But like she, I I feel like this is because she was reminded earlier by Lorelai that she was like, quote unquote, spoiled by Dean. And now she sees someone else being spoiled by Dean. And she's like, I don't have that. Like, I'm lacking that. And I want Jess to provide that. So she calls him and says, like, I'm not going to sit around waiting anymore. We need to have a plan. Um, She also says that maybe I'm spoiled. I like being spoiled. I care to differ, though. Like, I don't (laughs) think expecting communication and setting plans is really being spoiled by anyone. But... We do see the recurring theme of like the spoiledness or whatever. And for a nice little moment of humor at the very end, she says, oh, yeah, this is a message for Jess. So I really like <laughs> thinking of Luke listening to that whole thing and being like, oh, Jess, just like shaking his head in disappointment at him. Like he has not improved yet. He yeah. didn't take my advice. It's <laughs> ruining his one shot <laughs> after this we get. The scene is kind of heartbreaking. So she leaves the stadium and there is Jess standing, leaning against his car, looking like such a cool guy. (laughs) And he hands her earplugs and it ends up that he's bought tickets for a band called The Distillers for that night. And I have to say, this is not the action we wanted from Jess. (laughs) If it were me and I like had just, I mean, had this emotional moment and the went outside and all of a sudden I had to like go to a concert with somebody like that's the opposite of having plans we can't just yeah. be spontaneity is fine as long as it's planned spontaneity <laughs> or in doses you don't want the response to like wanting a plan you don't want the response to then be spontaneity you know yeah <laughs> and it's kind of like he's he's kind of shoehorning her into a corner because she said that she wants this action from him So he's giving her this action and it's kind of like an ultimatum like, okay, I'm giving you what you want. Isn't this what you want? Like, if this isn't what you want, then, you know, what is it? You know, so she she almost can't complain. Yeah, I felt like the like concert tickets was like the dark underside of like the big romantic gestures we see Mm -hmm. people make in TV or movies. It's like that's kind of what that's the sort of script of this this thing he does where he surprises her with tickets and they like music together and stuff but it's also kind of like emotional bribery like you were saying or 
manipulation in a way of like, I'm giving what you want, right? And like, yeah, like backing her in the corner of saying yes and having and wanting to feel like grateful because this is like the exact thing she would have wanted from him if they had mm-hmm. like made a plan like, oh yeah, this, this weekend, let's go see a concert together. And she would have loved that. But this isn't the right response. And the heart, the other heartbreaking element of it is that her response is then don't listen to your voicemail when you get home. And it's just so like defeatist of her. And it just made me so sad because it was like, you could have gone to the concert and then worked on your relationship the next day too, you know, but like she does let this kind of, I don't know if she's like persuaded or if she genuinely feels better by this, but something about it convinces her to kind of like smooth everything under the rug for some reason. Mm -hmm. That's almost like inexplainable. I don't know. It just seemed very, her being very resigned to the relationship and how it's working and like making so many compromises that she's not okay with really at the inside the continued like conflict aversion I don't know but this was my Friday night dinner critique um just like his behavior and then hers in response and kind of like not standing her ground when she had just like finally worked herself up to stand up for herself and then it just comes falling down so quickly. It's very sad. And like I said at the start, it's the further unraveling of the relationship. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's <sighs> just so sad. After this depressing scene, we're back at the Gilmore's all of a sudden. And Trix is lying on a bed with like a hot pad over her face being <laughs> so dramatic. And Emily comes in and... They have a nice moment. She apologizes for humiliating Trix, and she seems, like, pretty genuine in that. Mm-hmm. Trix doesn't respond, and then she she finally says that she was married w- once, like, in response to why she had kept this a secret. She was married once and had no desire to marry again, and she feels that it would be, like, a dishonor to her husband's memory. Um, but she also admits that through all these years she's become lonely like she she has some witty ways to say this but basically (laughs) she's become lonely and she's found companionship with this guy it seems like they've been together for a while Mm -hmm. she and Emily have like a moment of similarity and bonding because Emily explains that she also you know feels lonely especially with Richard traveling so much and then when he's back he's just paying attention to tricks and so Emily just says that she she has experience being humiliated, aka by Trix, <laughs> and wishes that Trix felt bad every once in a while for being so mean to Emily, and also just like that they have this in common. They both mm-hmm. suffer from loneliness over time. Yeah, this heart to heart was my gazebo moment. So had back to back. Friday night dinner followed by gazebo moment. Um, I was really touched by the conversation they had for a lot of the reasons you outlined. And it was just so nice to see their relationship finally come to a head of something that isn't just them bickering at each other, you know, like actually speaking about their inner emotions. And I was just really moved by Trix's description of like, still being so committed to her husband after he had passed and that marriage is for life and she's like 
if your husband is gone and you want permanent attachment, you add a library or a solarium mm-hmm. <laughs> and like the just different rich pe- rich people ways of grieving, grieving, but like not to like make light of it though, like that you're trying to like fill a void with like building rooms and finding solace in these things and that she wasn't able to really fill herself with that. So she did eventually seek it out from someone else. And I felt like it, foreshadowed a way that they couldn't have known you know like Emily's role in the revival when Richard is dead and she is so lonely and I wish they could have like actually like referenced this in the revival like maybe in some dialogue like Trix's advice like Emily reflecting on that because I do feel like Emily sort of takes kind of a tricks approach like she does end up seeking out like a new house and a new job and she finds new sources of fulfillment in a way and I don't know just like thinking about her storyline there just makes me tear up and like her at the end like on her bench like alone but she's not necessarily like it doesn't seem like she's lonely in that moment it seems like she's very content by the new life that she's been building for herself and the fact that some of the stuff she sought out actually has like improved her character like she's a tour guide at that museum which isn't exactly like the classic wage labor that she's expected from other people but she still is like finally working for once in her life and like a kind of work that actually brings her joy and contentment and whatnot so it's just it's very inspiring and I was thinking about that as her and tricks were talking about loneliness and whatnot yeah I wonder I mean, we don't really get much more from Trix Mm-mm. and her storyline, but I wonder if she ever found something fulfilling other than her tryst with this guy. <laughs> um, my gazebo moment comes right after this, though. Nice. Downstairs <laughs> with Lorelai and Richard. And Lorelai's like, I think she's coming to this conversation from like, uh, you just found out that your mom is has a new relationship like that must be hard for you dealing with that and And you might be angry at emily for exposing it in that way yeah (laughs) Yeah, humiliating your mom because richard does often take trix's side over emily's and as she's saying all of this richard is silent and then he just starts to like chuckle and crack up and then they (laughs) they both he's like i can't believe that i wonder if he was actually wearing a track suit and then they both start like exchanging these little jabs about the whole the whole scene and the idea of Emily hiding in the bushes and all of that and they're just having a wonderful hilarious moment together and Richard seems perfectly fine with the what his mother has done um I just loved it it was so wholesome and cute Mm -hmm. I love my favorite set of lines between the two of them was he wearing Nikes also just yeah. do it takes on a new meaning <laughs> yeah that's true he's like am i so gonna great. get a new daddy he'll take me to ball games and wear matching <laughs> jogging suits <laughs> adorable emily also comes down during this and says that she and tricks are gonna have tea and for a moment they're like oh they reconciled their friends now and richard's says he's not really sure about the about how the alliance would go um but not to worry, they are not friends because then Trix sent down the maid to like tell Emily how to <laughs> to make tea and Emily goes back upstairs ranting about that. So Yeah, very grumpy. Status again. quo. 
The final scene of the episode is Lorelai and Rory back at home later that night. Rory gets home and doesn't tell Lorelai that she ended up hanging out with Jess after all. And yeah, it's just, it's sad. Uh, Continued like her not um, confiding in people who care about her kind of thing. I really... I, it's easy to see. I feel like this is very much like Rory internally knowing she should have stood up for herself and she knows that Lorelai knows it as well and she doesn't want to be like by admitting it she doesn't want to be like judged or not even that Lorelai would judge her but she might pity her and I don't think Rory wants to be pitied um, just like ashamed of how she reacted you know so she kind of sweeps it under the rug and it's it's sad. Yeah, this was almost sadder to me than her, like, not discussing things with Jess. Yeah. Because, like, this, I mean, this relationship is the most important in the show, and it's just showing that Rory and Jess have drawn, like, a wedge between Rory and Lorelai, which is just not, I mean, that's the last thing we want to see with any of their relationships is a, a man coming between them. Yeah, yeah, because it's like Rory is just trying to put up appearances that the relationship is fine. And so in doing that, she's not being like true in her relationship with Lorelai when that's usually like everything the show is about, you know. Well, we'll see where all of this goes in the next episode. I have a feeling we're only in the rising action, though, rather than falling. (laughs) Yeah, we've (laughs) still got technical terms. (laughs) Still got like seven episodes left six yeah, episodes something like left, that so more to happen <laughs> yeah well i will ask who was your mvp for the episode i chose potentially a controversial mvp i chose tricks oh um, second time with yeah <laughs> she's she's such a fun character like she is absolutely terrible to emily mm-hmm. like in every way But she's so much fun. She brings like a weird new dynamic to things. And I just love that she is, you know, doing what she needs to do and getting what she needs in her life with a man in a purple tracksuit. Very cute. Yeah. (laughs) Who was your MVP? You know, there are like a lot of people I could pick. And my my I mean, my first thought is Emily, but I think I picked her just last episode or I picked her often anyway, so I want to do a little bit of an out-of-the-box choice and pick Taylor. Nice. Yeah, just because, you know, what we were talking about at the start of the episode, these moments that allow us to feel sympathetic for him, getting a little bit of backstory about him, um, seeing just his, like, dedication to town and to his family and how it was kind of thwarted by his brother and imagining that dynamic more and kind of wishing we'd seen more of that uh, within the episode itself but yeah he made all those buttons that really (laughs) reminded me of our ads that I mean the ads we get from very legitimate sponsors yeah so yeah I just had some Taylor appreciation this episode for once (laughs) nice we both chose problematic favorites problematic faves (laughs) and they both they both start with T Taylor and Tricks Trists. No, I don't. Yeah, know. I don't know how we're we'll gonna work that out. <laughs> Triple T. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyways. <laughs> well, talk soon. Talk soon.
Thanks for listening to Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. Don't forget to rate and review us and share us with your friends. Join us on Instagram and TikTok at Talking Fast Podcast. And join the conversation by emailing us your thoughts, talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com.